We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core. Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach, with, with you this afternoon. Uh, enjoying most of the week with you. I won't be with you tomorrow, but I'll be back Thursday and Friday. And I appreciate you listening and being a part of the American Family Radio family. We're always talking about the principles of liberty here. I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper into those today as uh, as I'm at Patriot Academy, uh, our leadership congress in Phoenix, Arizona. American Family Association has been a great partner with Patriot Academy for years. Uh, actually, uh, co-host of AFA at the Core here, uh, Walker Wobbin, a, a graduate of Patriot Academy, came through the program several years ago, had a great time at the state capitol in Texas for that particular leadership congress. Uh, but we really appreciate AFA and, and its support of, of the leadership congresses and all the things Patriot Academy does. But uh, this youth leadership program, I'm telling you folks, you may wonder why I have more optimism in my voice uh, than most people, and it's because of these these young people. I, I get to be around them all the time. I get to do these 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 congresses and state capitals across the country. And I don't know when you when you see hope in the next generation, it just it puts a little bounce in your step. It makes you makes you more willing to you know do the things that are necessary to fight for freedom. It makes you more willing to to stay in the fight even when you see. Uh, defeats when you see the negativity in the culture. If you know that there's a remnant that God is raising up, if you see hope in the next generation, it's a totally different perspective, and and I'm spoiled. I get to see that all the time. As I mentioned yesterday, we've been to, let's see, we started in Colorado. We did one in Colorado. We did one in in, uh, Delaware and Florida and Indiana. And I'm sorry, in Idaho, we we're supposed to do one in Indiana. We're doing one there next year, Lord willing, and uh, and then here in Phoenix um, this week. And and just been you know incredibly hot. I will say that 115. It feels like I don't know what it actually is, but uh, but also just just so encouraging to see these young people that are engaging in this. And this morning, I just got through. Literally was rushing to the microphone. Uh, just got through with a presentation with the with the students <clears throat> on the Constitution and on. Basically, a crash course of of constitutional principles, so that they can be good citizens. You you know, how are you going to be a good citizen in a nation that is a constitutional republic if you don't know the constitution of that republic? It'd be like going out and playing a baseball game and having no idea what the rules of the game are, having no idea what first base is, <clears throat> or having no idea how many strikes and balls you get, or or you know uh, whether or not you can get off the base and whether or not you can have a leadoff and 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 <laughs> what happens when you catch a, a fly ball. I mean, if you don't know the rules to the game, how in the world would you play the game? You wouldn't. It, it would be complete chaos. Well, that's basically what we have in the country is chaos because we don't know the rules of the game. We don't know how the Constitution works, and it's not as complicated as you would think. It's actually quite simple. It's actually quite limited. Uh, in fact, yesterday we talked about limited government, and uh, we talked about it here on the program at AFA at the Core, which is all about the core principles that we stand for, our biblical principles, that this whole country, our Constitution, all of our separation of powers, all of that came from the Bible. So if you have a biblical perspective and then you learn civics, well, then you can be a good biblical citizen. And so that's what we're teaching at Patriot Academy. And, and, and at this Leadership Congress, it's a unique way of teaching those principles because we teach it as they're serving 
as a legislator. So they're, they're on the real house floor here in Phoenix at the state capitol for Arizona. They're on the, in the real committee rooms. They're, they're debating the issues of the day. They're learning the process of how legislation is made. So they're seeing it from inside the belly of the beast, if you will. And, the, and they're learning the process, uh, but then they're also learning the principles. What makes a good society? How does the American value system work? And, and why is it better than other systems. I, I don't think that's that's you know wrong to say that our system is better than others. We've get, we've received a better result in America than any nation has ever experienced in the history of the world. More freedom, more wealth, more prosperity, more inventions, more just good old fashioned conveniences, um, more religious liberty, more equality, more blind justice and equal justice under the law than any nation in the history of the world. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We've definitely got problems in America. And frankly, most of the problems we're facing now are a result, result of ignoring the principles, a result of going against the American value system. Did we have problems in the past? Absolutely. And it took years, centuries, it took, it took 100 years to apply the principles of the Declaration of Independence to all Americans. 100 years. It took another hundred years to ap actually implement equal justice under the law and, and blind justice and get those things into the, the culture. And, and then in just a matter of a few years, we have gone backwards on all of those things. And now we're, we've got prosecutors that are prosecuting based on color of skin. They, they, they'll give you a, a, a maybe not even prosecute, but a lighter uh, sentence or a lighter prosecution if you have the right color of skin or the right political beliefs. That should scare you right there. I mean, can you imagine a government that implements its laws depending on your political beliefs? But that's what's happening right now. Your, your treatment, your due process under the Bill of Rights right now depends greatly upon which side of the aisle you're on. It depends greatly upon your political beliefs and what you're standing for and fighting for. If you're fighting for certain th certain things, you can burn buildings and 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 cause billions of dollars in in damages, and and not only not be prosecuted, but if you are prosecuted, the vice president of the United States will bail, help bail you out. If you come from the you know another perspective and you're fighting for another particular issue and standing for and possibly even peacefully protesting, actually not burning buildings and not breaking things, your treatment is very very different. And if you are breaking things and you're on the wrong political side of the aisle, oh, man, uh, praying for you because you will have received worse treatment over the last year than even detainees at Gitmo. I mean, terrorists are treated better than what happened to these out of – I mean, look, they were out of control. Some of these people at January 6th, definitely out of control, did things that were absolutely wrong. They were absolutely, if I can say the word on the air, stupid. I mean, absolutely stupid in what they did, and they deserve to be prosecuted. But they do not deserve to be in a situation without due process, some of them for a year without a single visitor. Can you imagine not allowing a single visitor to someone in an American jail? That is un-American. That's something that happens in third world countries, and we're doing that to people from January 6th. So there's a definitely a two-tiered justice system going on in America, and it didn't used to be that way, at least not to this extent. Always always have to fight for good, always had, you know, the price of freedom's eternal vigilance. There's no perfect system, no perfect person. So you always fight for these things. But that's what why principles matter. In fact, let, let me just define 
what principles are and 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 why they're so important. We we call this the we we call this the set of principles at Patriot Academy. We call it the timeless principles of liberty, and, and the reason we chose that is because they work. They last forever. They're not restricted to a particular time or date. They're what we call the laws of nature and nature's God. It's the way God created us and the design of human nature. And so it's timeless. But the reason we call them principles is because if you go back to the 1828 dictionary, Webster's Dictionary in 1828, it defines principles as the cause or the source or the origin of anything, that from which a thing proceeds the ground, the foundation, that which supports an assertion and an action or, or a series of actions or reasoning. So principles <clears throat> are what you must build a society on. And so for America, it was timeless principles of liberty, principles that said we want people to be able to live in freedom. But it's very important to define even liberty because liberty does not mean do anything and everything you want anytime you choose or whatever you dream up. Liberty is still restrained in some way when you're in society. So let me break that down. Again, 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Liberty is defined as, quote, freedom from restraint in a general sense and applicable to the body or to the will or the mind. And natural liberty, Webster said way back then, consist in the power of acting as one thinks fit without any restraint or control except from the laws of nature. It is a state of exemption from the control of others and from positive laws and the institutions of social life. Liberty is abridged by the establishment of government. Now, he's not saying don't have government. He's saying natural liberty is essentially unlimited other than the laws of nature. To put that in context, let's say you're on an island and you're the only one on the island. You live in a state of natural liberty where you can do anything you want, only abridged by the laws of nature. So by your physical strength, by the storms that might occur, by animals that might be on the island, um, by the physical restraints of the, of, of the size of the island. <clears throat> Excuse me. Those things would limit your natural liberty, but you don't have other people limiting your liberty. You don't have a government that is limiting your liberty. As great as that sounds, I don't want to live on an island by myself. I hope you don't want to live on an island by yourself. And so we choose to live amongst other people, and then we have to call it civil liberty. And so back to Webster. Webster goes on and he says, Civil liberty is the liberty of men in a state of society. Or you could say it is natural liberty. It's the same as what we just discussed, natural liberty, except except it's abridged and restrained as is necessary and expedient for the safety and interest of the society, state, or nation. So backing up, liberty, natural liberty, unrestrained, except by nature. Civil liberty, which is what we live in, whatever state you're in, wherever you choose to live, whatever neighborhood you're in, you're in a state of civil liberty, and your liberty is restrained. And it's restrained by the necessity and, the, and by what's expedient for the safety and interest of the society, state, or nation. Now, here's the trick. Who decides? Who defines what is necessary and expedient for the safety and interest of the society, the state, or the nation? Because if you just leave that up to anybody, <clears throat> if, you, if you give that power to, for instance, oh, I don't know, just pulling this out of the top, off the top of my head, maybe the health commissioner? And if the health commissioner decides what the what is necessary for the expediency of safety and, and the interest of society or nation, <clears throat> and the health commissioner is not elected <laughs> and has no accountability to the people, hmm, 
hmm, they might get out of hand. They might decide that a virus that's 99.9% survivable, that, that still it's necessary for the expediency and the safety and the interest of the society to make you stay home, to not be able to go to church, to not be able to open your business. They, they might decide that your physical freedom that you're, uh, let's see, what, what, what did we say earlier with with, uh, with Webster's uh, definition, um, your, even, even your own um, um, uh, uh, breathing, your own physical body uh, could be infringed upon, which is what masks and some of these things do. They infringe upon even your, your, your breathing. And so we left it to these unelected health commissioners to make that decision, and boy, did it get out of hand. And so when we talk about liberty, when we talk about defining freedom— we need to be really, really purposeful in defining who has the right, who has the power to decide what the restraints on liberty will be. And that's really where the principles of liberty have to be taught. We have to, we have to discuss these things, and we have to say, you know what? There is a time when government has to restrain our liberty. If a hurricane comes through town, wipes out your neighborhood, power lines are down, uh, people want to go in and loot. You know, uh, when that kind of thing happens, yeah, we want government to restrain our liberty from being able to go into that particular area or do certain things. That's a proper function of government. But then who decides when it's a virus? Mm, something to think about, right? If we don't want the same thing that happened over the last two years to happen again, we better think about these things. We better talk about these things. We better define liberty and we better define who the leaders are that get to decide these things and perhaps it would be important to write down in a constitution, maybe. I don't know. That's a good sounding word. We should write down what their limits are so that whatever happens, whatever the emergency might be. How many times do you hear that now? Everything's an emergency. The president wants to have an emergency of women's health care in order to override the U.S. Supreme Court saying that abortion is left to the states. So everything's an emergency now. That's why a constitution is so important. Because a constitution defines what those emergencies will be and defines who will get to make those decisions. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about why it's important to do that and how we do that in the United States and what you can do in your community to make sure we know these things. We'll also be taking your phone calls. 888-589-8840 is the phone number. 888-589-8840. Call in with your comments or questions. When we come back, we'll talk about those principles of liberty. And i got a few things to say about exercising individual liberty and the lives that were saved in Indiana because of that 22-year-old young man that did exactly that. Stay with us. You're listening to AFA at the Core. This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. You might be a family who regularly attends church. Your girl might even be connected to the church youth group or a Sunday school class. Did you know it's possible to have this as a way of life and still not really see Jesus for who he is? In John 12, Mary sat at Jesus' feet days before he would go to the cross, pouring expensive perfume over his feet. Some say this anointing quietly crowned him king over her heart, so she could, from there forward, call Jesus Lord. In today's modern Christian culture, even when your girl does all the right things, lead her into Mary's heart posture. In reverent and humble prayer, let her see you revere Jesus as your Lord. Worship beside her in awe of His majesty. Then she may truly see. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. Learn more about empowering girls at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. 
Hello? Hey, stranger. Oh, hi. Thank goodness it's you. I was afraid to answer the phone. Why? What's up? The credit card companies are after me. They want me to make payments and the calls never stop. Ouch. Been there before, but I got help from Trinity Debt Management. Trinity? Yeah. I called and right away, Trinity contacted my creditors and got my interest rates cut in half. They ended all the late fees and over-limit charges, and they stopped those annoying phone calls. Bet that was a relief. Yep. Then they put me on a plan that consolidated my bills into one easy monthly payment. That way, I paid off my debt fast while saving thousands. Nice. Trinity even showed me how to plan and meet a monthly budget. So now I'm debt-free for keeps. Wow. Do you still have their number? Sure. Here. Write this down and call 1-800-788-1813. Can you repeat that? 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. This year marks the 50th anniversary of the U.S. government closing the gold exchange window and putting the world on a fiat monetary standard. That is how Safadin Amas begins his book, The Fiat Standard. His earlier book, The Bitcoin Standard, was a best-selling book that has been translated into more than 25 languages. He argues that by first understanding the operation of Bitcoin, can someone then better understand the equivalent operations in fiat? It is easier to explain an abacus to a computer user than it is to explain a computer to an abacus user. So why the complexity? Well, the reason is simple. The fiat standard, which we use today, was not a carefully constructed economic system. It was not a deliberately designed operating system like Bitcoin. Rather, it evolved through a complex process of compromise between political constraints and expedience in managing government default. The impact of fiat currency is that it affects what economists describe as time preference. A person with high time preference focuses on present needs, while a person with low time preference is willing to delay present gratification and places more emphasis on future needs. When the world was on the gold standard, people knew that money would hold its value in the future. This enticed people to save. But when the countries moved to a fiat currency, the value of the currency declined and there was less inclination to save. The book describes how Welcome back to AFA at the core. You can call into 888-589-8840 if you would like to participate in the show today. You got a comment or question maybe about the principles of liberty, some of the things that are going on out there in the culture where frankly we've lost the principles of liberty. I mean, if let's be honest, we we've allowed government to override those constraints that we put on them in our constitutions because we didn't know our constitutions. It actually goes back to John Jay. I mean, he was first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. He was pretty clear about this. He said that if you don't know your rights, you won't perceive when they've been violated. They probably didn't use the word won't. That's kind of a you know Texas word there. But he, he said if you don't know your rights, then they're going to be violated and you're going to be asleep at the wheel. You're just going to, they're just going to be taken away from you. But he said if you know your rights, you'll perceive that and you'll know how to properly defend and assert them. 
And that's why we spend so much time talking about the principles of liberty and talking about the Constitution and how it works and the role of the citizen. All of these things require our involvement. You can't just elect somebody and hope that they're going to solve all the problems for you. In fact, Thomas Jefferson said this all the way back. He said, in questions of power, let no more be heard of confidence in man, but bind him down from mischief by the chains of the Constitution. I'll tell you what, there's some folks that I really support. I mean, I love what they're doing, and I vote for them, and I talk about them. But I still want them bound <laughs> by the chains of the Constitution. Why? Because I know the heart of man. I know the, or I don't know the heart of man. There's so much there I don't know it. That's the point. I know the laws of nature and nature's God. And even in Jeremiah 17, 9, we're told the heart is evil. No man can know it. So I don't know the evil, the level of evil in that other person's heart that I'm voting for or even my own. So a good person running for office that understands the laws of nature and nature's God, even they would say of themselves, I want to be bound by the chains of the Constitution. Jefferson was so so right. So when we talk about the principles of liberty and, and we lay out the things of, uh, you know, these things that we we say we would fight for, that we would die for, whether it's freedom of religion or freedom of speech or the right to, to uh, of self-defense or, 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 or the uh, parental rights and raising our children, whatever the rights are that we talk about, the things that we think of when we say liberty, when we say that we want to defend and protect those things, we have to recognize that it's absolutely essential to define the proper role of government, to define what government can do and can't do, because it's so important to know who's going to make the decision as we defined liberty in the last segment from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Who's going to decide when it's necessary and expedient for the safety and interest of society, state, the state, or the nation to restrain that liberty? And that's where government comes in. And that's where legislative bodies come in. That's why we have debate. That's why we want them to debate when it's time and how far to go with those restraints. And the only way that debate's going to turn out in our favor when it comes to liberty and, 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 and government's uh, infringement upon liberty being really, really limited, the only way that happens is if you send people into those legislatures, you elect people to be state rep or state senate or Congress, you elect people that love liberty and love being bound by the restraints of the Constitution, that want to have limited jurisdiction, that are willing to stand up and say, sorry, I understand you, you have a challenge or a problem in your life. I understand you want somebody to solve it for you, but government does not have the authority, whatever level of government they're sitting in, local, county, state, federal, whatever their, their job is, that they're willing to say, I don't have the power to do this. Instead of just grabbing power and acting on these things just because they want to feel good, like they've solved everybody's problems. Most of these politicians, they have a press conference and they talk about all the good they're doing with your money. They talk about all the good they're doing with your freedom. I, I, I pine for the day where we have more politicians that are willing to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I'm not willing to steal power or money from you in order to help this person over here. I don't have authority to do that, and I'm not going to do it. And that's what the Supreme Court's been saying for the last couple of weeks. They've been defining the jurisdictions, read, not, not redefining, they've been reestablishing the definitions of liberty that existed before the activist courts of the last 60 years. And they've said, we don't have the power. That was Sam Alito's whole point. In the Dobbs decision, we don't have the power, and we're not going to take it from you. We're going to protect it for you. <clears throat> if we had more like that, not only on the U.S. Supreme Court, but in Congress, in the White House, in our state legislatures, then we would be defending liberty 
for future generations. That's what we need to not only pray for, but we need to act on that. And to do that, we have to study. We got to know these things, right? How do we vote for somebody that's going to restrain uh, liberty only in extreme cases and improper cases? If 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 we can't, how are we going to vote for somebody that's going to do that if we don't know how to do that? So that's why I'm always pushing you: study the Constitution, study the Bible. The most important thing you can do to save America is read your Bible every day, because in the Bible you'll find all of the truths for how to have good relationships with your with your family, with your neighbors, with your government officials, on how to form society, what the proper role of government is, what the proper role of the church is. All of it's in there. All of the answers. So if we're in the Bible every day, we're gonna we're gonna naturally be learning those truths, and then it's gonna come out. And then and then and then when we're having that discussion about what the school board's doing or what what Congress is doing or whatever, those things you just read about from some king in the Old Testament or some principle that Paul was teaching uh, in the New Testament, whatever it was that you just read, I'm, I'm telling you, God does this in an amazing way. He's gonna time that out, man. He's gonna arrange it for you, <laughs> where what you read that day in the Bible, all of a sudden, boom, it comes off the tip of your tongue. And it, and, it, and it influences that person you're talking about with wisdom on how to form society, who to vote for, what those people should stand for. It, it's just amazing what happens. So number one, be in God's Word. I promise there will be fruit that comes from that. But then number two, study the system itself. Study the Constitution and learn how to, as we said from Jefferson, bind those politicians down with the chains of the Constitution. So again, we call it the timeless principles of liberty. We talked about what that means, timeless, and the principles, and then what does liberty mean? We have an easy way of remembering it here at the at Patriot Academy. I'm here at the Leadership Congress in, in Phoenix, in Arizona, and, uh, and and if you're interested in that, by the way, if you'd like to send young people to these programs, you got to be 16 to 25 to go through most of our programs. We, we have a couple of options that are for us older folks, over 25, but most of our programs are 16 to 25. And, um, and, and as we're teaching them this, I want to I share it with you on the air this week. So we've been talking about the principles of liberty. And yesterday we did limited government. We, we defined yesterday that limited government is not how much money we spend on government. It's what we spend that money on. And so it's, it's a defined jurisdiction. So in our Constitution, for instance, in Article 1, Section 8, we list the jurisdiction of the federal government. We, we list out the things that government can do, things like uh, raising revenue and using that revenue to pay off the debt or to protect the nation. Uh, we, we, we have authorization in Article 1, Section 8 for the federal government to protect free enterprise across state lines so that no state can inhibit uh, um, you from going into their state and selling your goods or your or your services. Uh, the, the power of the government to protect your invention. We call that patents and copyrights. Trade. So we talked about all that yesterday, the limits of government. There are certain things we want government to do, but that's it. We don't want them to go outside of those things that we listed in the Constitution. And as we said yesterday, they're doing about, oh, I don't know, 1,700 things, 17,000 things that are not listed in the Constitution. So limited government is jurisdiction. So the next part of our acronym, LIFT, L-I-F-T, LIFT, limited government, individual liberties, free enterprise and timeless truth. The next one after limited government is individual liberties. I, I train these students that when they're analyzing a piece of legislation, that the first question they ask is, do I have authority under limited government, the authority given to me as a state rep or congressman or whatever role they're playing, to even consider this issue, or is it outside my jurisdiction? If it's outside the jurisdiction, you don't even go to the rest of, of the acronym. You just say, oh, sorry, I got to vote no on this one. We don't have authority to do this. <coughs> Excuse me. If you do have authority, if you do have, if it's within your limited 
jurisdiction. Then you have to assess individual liberties. If I pass this bill, then am I going to infringe upon the individual rights that I'm supposed to be protecting? You know, Sam Adams was the father of the American Revolution. He said that's the whole purpose of government. He said government was originally designed for the preservation of unalienable rights. First, a right to life. Secondly, liberty. And third, property. So he's saying we're defending. The whole purpose of government is to defend these things. And therefore, if you get outside of those jurisdictions and you start creating things the government's going to do, you're very likely going to infringe upon the very rights that you were supposed to be protecting. So government's job, just as the Declaration of Independence says, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. So government's right, is, uh, government's purpose is to secure those individual rights. So what are those individual rights? Well, it's the things we mentioned. The, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, the right to assemble, the right to petition your government, the, 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 the right to uh, defend your family, the, the, the right to keep and bear arms, the rights to due process. I mean, all of these things are individual rights. Now, the beauty of the Ninth Amendment in the Constitution is that it says, we've listed a bunch of your rights here, but we didn't list all of them. Your rights are not exhausted in the Constitution. The only thing that's exhausted in the Constitution, in other words, is completely covered, is the power of government. That's why we call it enumerated. So the power of the government is exhausted and completely listed in the Constitution. Your power, your freedom, your rights are not listed completely in the Constitution. So there's some things you have a right to, like parental rights. That's a great example. It's not actually discussed in the Constitution. We don't say in the Constitution that the parent is the one that should make the decisions about the education, the, the health, the welfare, uh, the upbringing of their child. We don't talk about that in the Constitution. Why? Because the Founding Fathers, it was universally understood that the parent has that. that was, they, they never dreamed that government would step in and try to take over the raising of your children. So they didn't even address it. But that doesn't mean that that right doesn't exist. It's covered under the Tenth Amendment where it says anything we didn't talk about here, anything we did not list as a, a power or, or of the federal government is left to the states and the people. And so parental rights would, would fall under that. And then in your state constitution, hopefully you're pushing for a parental rights amendment that specifically says in your state constitution that parents are the ones that have the rights to raise their children. So that's a really important individual right that's not actually listed in the Constitution. And then, of course, the individual right to keep and bear arms. I mean, we saw that play out several times over the last few weeks where individual citizens, because of their right to keep and bear arms and their right of self-defense, not only saved their own life, but they saved the lives of dozens of other people. I mean, we, I've talked about it so many times, but just mention it again. West Virginia, that lady takes that firearm out of her purse. Bad guy's trying to kill 40 people. And she takes out the bad guy and nobody else dies. Great example of, of, the, of the right of self-defense, the resistance, as John Adams said, to sudden violence. And then just two days ago, I mentioned it yesterday on the air, in Indiana at this mall, bad guy takes out a rifle. He's trying to kill as many people as he can. He probably would have killed, there's no telling, dozens and dozens of people. He had you know, multiple magazines and plenty of ammunition and, and, and you know, you know, sitting ducks all over the mall because the mall was a gun-free zone. They didn't want people carrying firearms in the gun. Did the bad guy pay attention to that sign? Of course not. The bad guy's still going to go in and shoot the place up. If, if there was a magazine capacity limit on the bad guy, would he have still gone in and would he have left the extra rounds in the car? Of course not. He would have still gone in and he would have not have left the, the round, extra rounds in, in, in the car. Thankfully, 
there was a sheepdog. Uh, forget the guy's last name. Elisha, I think, is, is his first name. But this guy, 22 years old, also, by the way, ignored the sign in this gun-free zone and had his uh, firearm, his handgun, on his hip and was able to take out the bad guy and stop the bad guy from killing dozens and dozens of people. Did he kill a, a, a few people? Yes. He was able to kill, I think it was three people that have died so far, and, and thankfully that was it because the good guy was able to take out the bad guy. It's so, so important for us to make sure that we uphold the right to keep and bear arms if we want to have safety in our communities, if we want to stop the mass murder events as soon as possible. doesn't mean that you prevent mass murder events from ever happening. It means that you're able to stop them as soon as possible, and that's because of the individual right to keep and bear arms. So we have the timeless principles of liberty. We have limited government. We have individual liberties, this one being, of course, the right to keep and bear arms. And then we have free enterprise. We're going to talk about that one in our final segment as we take our calls. And we have timeless truth. So limited government, individual liberties, free enterprise, and timeless truths. That's the way you analyze legislation. That's the way you, frankly, analyze a candidate. If that candidate does not believe in limited government, don't support them. If you ask a candidate for office, what is your authority? What, what, what are you allowed to do as an elected representative? And they say, well, I, 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 I have to do what I think is best. And that's the only restraint on them? They don't understand limited government. We don't elect representatives to go do whatever they think is best. We elect representatives to go do what they think is best within the boundaries and the jurisdiction of the Constitution. If you ask them, what individual liberties would you protect? And, and they don't include the right of self-defense? If they don't include uh, you know, the, the, the freedom of religion? If they don't include these basic rights? Yeah, you probably ought not to vote for them. If they don't understand free enterprise and leaving the decision to the individuals in the marketplace instead of government taking over, probably ought not to vote for them. And if they have no concept of timeless truths, in other words, they have no biblical worldview, they have no concept of these truths that are timeless and that need to be defended, right and wrong, male and female, basic things like that, probably not ought to vote for them. So we as the citizens need to think through these things. We need to know the timeless principles of liberty, and then we can make good decisions about who we elect. And maybe, maybe you're one of the ones that needs to run for office. Okay, we got a lot of phone calls that are coming in. I'll get to those right when we get back from the break. If you would like to join the conversation, it's 888-589-8840. To your phone calls when we come back, you're listening to AFA at the Core. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. American Family Studios was started back in 2011 as a way to advance the Christian worldview into an increasingly media-rich culture. Media is like such a powerful tool to communicate the gospel. I love writing stories, getting in my office, and just thinking, how can we portray this concept of who God's character is? 
and to get to use the gifts that God has given me is really a joy. AmericanFamilyStudios.net Telling Bibleists, persecuted believers, no, that's one of the hardest things we do at Bible League. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth, and I want to give you an update on our campaign, Stand With Them. You know, Paul wrote, the persecuted, they may be persecuted, but they're not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. You know, for weeks we've been telling you about Christians who are praying for Bibles in order to endure and persevere. Ahmad is in Malaysia. He's a civil engineer, was beaten. When he came to Christ, he's praying for a Bible. Adesh is in Nepal. He's a tour guide near the Himalayan mountains. He was beaten, but he's praying for a Bible in the Nepalese language. And then Einar is in Zimbabwe. She's a widowed mother of three. Her husband was killed by the Boko Haram regime. She's not praying for an end to her suffering. She's praying for a Bible. We're in the final few days of this effort to send God's word to 16,000 Bibleless persecuted believers. We're short of this goal and we need to wrap up in the coming days. So at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20, will you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. Or give at sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills And it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. You can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings. Very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. It gives an impetus to share your faith when you think you've got answers to objections that you expect people to bring up. The American Family Studios video series, Intro to God's Revelation, featuring Dr. Richard Howe, shows how God has revealed Himself in nature and His Word, and how we can rightly understand what God has said. These truths are just a part and parcel of the Christian life. It isn't just for the professional clergy. Learn the fundamentals of how to approach and understand the Bible in an age of skepticism. This six-week video curriculum is perfect for your Sunday school class or study group and it can prepare you to give a defense of God's Word and how He speaks to us in nature. Knowing whether and how God communicates is a safeguard against false claims about God communicating. Intro to God's Revelation, DVDs and workbook are available for purchase at afastore.net or call 877-927-4917. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. Thanks for staying with us. We're going to go to the phones. We've been talking about the LIFT principles. Those are the timeless principles of liberty and an easy-to-remember acronym LIFT, L-I-F-T, limited government, individual liberties, free enterprise, and timeless truth. That's what we teach at Patriot Academy and at our Leadership Congress here in Phoenix at the state capitol. These young people have been applying that to legislation as they debate on the House floor. And I thought you might want to know that acronym so that you can measure policy that you hear about or candidates, measure the candidates based on those lift 
principles, they will guide you uh, extremely well in, uh, in, in, in good government, basically, to have a government that, that serves you well and protects those freedoms. Let's head to the phones. First phone call today is from Bob in Ohio. Bob, how you doing? What's your comment or question? I'm fine. Uh, I was talking to the bishop, but he didn't answer one of my questions. I was curious to find out. This George Soros that spreads all this money around to buy people and everything. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. What can we do to stop this man? Because he's, he's destroying our, our country with these different people they're putting into, you know, these, uh, uh, what they call them, uh, prosecutors and everything. And yeah. you, I don't know, a lot of people don't know, but he was in the German youth uh, movement when he was a kid in Germany. No, he's had an incredibly wow. negative effect on America. He's, he's put, you know, billions of dollars into the into the uh, fight for the culture. And, and, you know, the thing about freedom is, like I said earlier, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And, and if we sit back and let someone like this dominate the marketplace they're going to dominate the marketplace and and it's our job to step up and say we're going to counter it and the way we counter it is competition in those elections competition in in the flow of money and i know you know in, initially we'll say yeah but i'm not a multi multi-billionaire yeah but you know what if all of us that are not billionaires but but we could give ten dollars we could give a hundred dollars we could give sometimes you know a thousand dollars if we would just give i don't know five percent of our income to the cause of freedom we could counter everything that George Soros is doing. If just if just half of Christians would do that, it would be trillions of dollars that could then go into good candidates, godly candidates for for prosecutors, for uh, for DA, for the legislature, for Congress, for president. And, and I've been saying this for a long time. I, I'm telling you, lives, fortunes, sacred honor. We have got to step up and give of our time volunteering for campaigns, volunteering to be constitution coaches and hosting classes in our homes and at our churches, but also not only lives, but our fortunes. We've got to start putting our money where our values are. George Soros does that. He puts his money where his values are. Now, I don't like his values. I think they're destroying the culture, but he has the freedom to do that. We have the freedom to do that too. And so I'm asking you, everybody out there, Start thinking about where you can put your dollars. A small percentage, 5%, let's say 5% of your income that you cut out something and in, in, in you sell your car and get a cheaper car. You, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I mean, we can all find ways to cut. For me, you know, maybe I just need to cut out that $5, you know, fancy coffee every day. Uh, we can find a way to give a, a, a higher percentage of our income. So keep, keep tithing to your church. Maybe even increase your tithes to your church because the more money you give to your church— the more they're going to be the epicenter of the community and meet the needs of the community instead of government. And that's better for everybody. But also start giving directly to candidates. Start giving directly to good causes. Donate to American Family Association. When you donate to American Family Association, those dollars go into influencing the culture and countering a George Soros. Donate to Patriot Academy. When you give to Patriot Academy, it raises young people like what I'm doing right now in, in Phoenix at the state capitol that will be the state legislators of the next decade or, or, or you know, the, the, the school board members or the city council members or, or just good biblical citizens back home. So start investing and counter the George Soros's of the world. I, I share your opinion, Bob, about what the damage that he's done. I'm not for legislating away people's ability to donate or to give or to influence. I'm for 
encouraging and lighting a fire under the other side and saying people that love liberty have got to do what Thomas Paine said. If you want the blessings of liberty, you must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it. And that includes our time. It includes our money. It includes our sacred honor, our willingness to speak truth, uh, regardless of whether or not we might be canceled as a result of that. Great call, Bob. Appreciate you. Appreciate your comment. Bill is next in Mississippi. Bill, comment or question today? How's it going, Rick? I'm doing well, man. How about you? I'm doing great. You know, I'm listening to you, and and I appreciate about the truth. You know, we had an unbeliever say when they were writing the Constitution that, you know, you couldn't do it without prayer. We couldn't do it without God. That's right. Anyway, let's go back to my original comment. There's a clause in the Constitution, and maybe you can help me understand it. And I I told the screener that I'm by no means um, looking for a coup or anything else. In my opinion, and in the opinion of most most believers, we have an illegitimate government. And I know that the, and, and the military is sworn to uphold the Constitution. And in my heart, regardless of the leaders that we have, I mean, you know, of the leaders that we have in, in the military now, that they're still true constitutional defending leadership in the, in the military. Yeah. You know, say they can abolish an illegitimate government and and you know from the defense of our um borders the defense of what is true and and, and everything they're they're trying to impose on this nation well here's the challenge here's the challenge bill so it, it, it just like I, it's it, it's interesting because I just got through talking about the election of 2020 to the students and 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 the Constitution and and went through all the you know jurisdictions everything we've been talking about in terms of principles of liberty and and, and over and over and over again I keep telling them two words you got to constantly have these two words on your mind who decides and and in a free society and in a constitutional republic someone has to make the decisions about for instance who wins the election and who. Uh, you vote for and what jurisdiction they're going to have when they get in office and and if something they do is unconstitutional. I mean, all of these things, there has to be someone that has to make the, the decision. And in a constitutional republic, it's on paper. You lay out the rules of the game and how the game's going to be played. And while I absolutely think there were all kinds of cheating, shenanigans, things that happened in the election that were not right, I will also say it's always been that way. There's always been cheating. There's always been attempts to manipulate the process. I can give you election results in 1868 and 1876 that you had states turn in 105% turnout. Some states turned in three different sets of electors because of the fight back home over who actually won the election. Um, so this is this is not new, what happened in 2020. But the process was, frankly, um, shortcutted because the people that had the power, when we say who decides, the state legislatures decide who wins the presidency ultimately. The state legislatures decide how the electors are going to be chosen. The Supreme Court has even ruled three different times that the state legislatures have the power to change how they choose electors at any time. And so in the election of 2020, because you had violations of the Constitution where where governors and, and secretaries of state and even state Supreme Courts set up schemes, they changed how the uh, uh, election was going to happen using COVID as an excuse, and they did not have the state legislature do it. They did it on their own. That was 100% unconstitutional. And it gave the state legislature 100% the power to say that is an illegitimate election. 
for choosing the electors. We are going to choose the electors and then send the electors to Congress that the state decided should be the electors. All six of those main states that were in question, Michigan, uh, um, Wisconsin, Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, all six of them absolutely had the power and the right to do that. And five of the six had Republican legislatures that should have done that, that should have corrected the system. Because they did not do that, they are the ones that capitulated and gave in and did not do their duty and did not oversee the proper outcome on the election or at least say we don't know who won because of all the shenanigans and therefore we're going to have to choose the electors ourselves or we're not even going to send electors that's what should have happened it didn't and so they failed us and then back to who decides and a constitutional process so the next step in the process is under the constitution following the constitution and the 12th amendment congress has to then count those electors and and if they have a problem with it they have to do something about it. And that's why January 6th was such a big deal, because on January 6th, that was the final moment for approving those electors or rejecting those electors that the states sent. Now, we could have a there's a long constitutional debate over what Mike Pence could have done that day, over what Congress had the power to do that day. And, and it's honestly not crystal clear because the 12th Amendment is not crystal clear. It's why I'm pushing for a constitutional amendment to the 12th Amendment, amend the 12th Amendment to lay out what you do when there's questions about the election back home and who decides what to do with those electors. It's very clear the legislature decides that's step one. And then Congress still has the ability to reject electors if they think that was a fraudulent election back home in that in that state. So the reason January 6th was such a big deal is because there's a constitutional process to play out. Uh, there, there's a constitutional process for uh, objections to electors. And Democrats have done it for years. That's what's so wrong with this January 6th hearing. They're acting like Republicans. I mean, when Josh Hawley's book was canceled by Amazon and by his publisher because he stood up and objected to electors, I'm going, wait a minute. He's not the first guy to do that. Ted Cruz wasn't the first guy to do that. Nancy Pelosi did that years ago. Democrats have done that for years. That is constitutional. That is absolutely part of the process, and we should allow for that. But then you have to take the vote and decide, you know, based on that objection. And so there's a process for all of that to take place. And unfortunately, and I know I'm kind of have taken up most of the program here with answering Bill's question, but un unfortunately, uh, Republicans in state legislatures didn't do their job, and then Republicans in Congress didn't do their job uh, that they could have done. And the vice president could have rejected or accepted electors based on, I mean, Thomas Jefferson did that. Richard Nixon did that in 1960 as vice president. Thomas Jefferson did it as vice president uh, in 1800. So there, there's historical precedent there. And, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I mean, I have to say, even if you believe that, that cheating and, and, and manipulation and violations of the Constitution produced the electoral result that was, that was approved by Congress, once it was approved by Congress, the process played out. And so I say all of that, five minutes of me yakking to say— I don't think you can say that the current government is illegitimate. I think you can say that this president was, was elected by illegitimate processes in the, back home in the states, but then once the Congress approved it, it legitimized it. It followed the constitutional process for finishing off the presidential election and installing the new president. 
I, I mean, look, the Democrats outmaneuvered the Republicans through cheating in some of these what in some of these uh, local areas. No question about it. And 2000 mules shows it. I mean, the evidence is there. But once it was signed off on by Congress at that point, you 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 basically stepped back into the constitutional process and put somebody in office. Now, can it be reversed? That is a new question. All of this fraud is being uncovered. The stuff that Mike Lindell and others are doing, who knows what all is going to be found out. As we continue, I mean, we know there were 750,000 ballots in Arizona that didn't have a chain of custody. I mean, all kinds of problems that took place. But whether or not a court would actually now say that election is thrown out and we have to have a new presidential election, I think is a virtual impossibility. I, I, I mean, they've done it with congressional elections. We did that with a, a congressional election in, in North Carolina just a couple of years ago. So it's been done at the federal level. But to do that based on the presidential election and based on the steps that took place is a big long shot, like uh, virtual impossibility. Could happen. Could happen. I would love it if it did. I think we should have another election and make sure that we we get it right and everybody do their job. And let's have paper ballots that you can actually count and verify. Let's make sure there's transparency and both sides are there to count the ballots and we're not boarding up windows and 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 counting in the middle of the night after one side goes home. I mean, all the stuff that took place, everybody knows that there was all a bunch of shenanigans and everybody questions what the actual outcome was. So, you know, have another election and do it right. I don't think that's going to happen, but at least we could have some confidence if we had paper ballots and there was transparency and there was verification and there were legal remedies to make sure this thing was done right. But in the meantime, we don't say it's an Ill illegitimate government. We're not going to follow what they do. We say, okay, we're going to have to keep following the Constitution, keep following the law. There's times for civil disobedience whenever they overstep their boundaries, but we have to fight within that system as best we can and thankfully, we now have a Supreme Court that is ruling, I think, constitutionally on a lot of these big issues. I don't think they'll do that with regard uh, to the election. So we're probably stuck uh, with the uh, you know dementia patient in the White House until the 25th Amendment is invoked. And then we'll get cackle Kamala, and she'll just laugh her way through the next two years. But then in 2024, we will replace uh, the White House with a, a somebody that actually can do the job. And, uh, and, and, and understands the Constitution. In 2022, we'll do it with Congress. Out of time for today, folks. We'll do more throughout the week, more on the principles of liberty. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Rick Green, America's Constitution Coach. You've been listening to AFA at the Core. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.